Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, the Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller, and with me is Coach V. Uh, and obviously the breaking news of the day is Kalen DeBoer is, in fact, leaving the University of Washington to take a job in Tuscaloosa at Alabama. Uh, this has been at least something that's been on people's radar since he went a radio silent after uh, Nick Saban announced his retirement. We all know the situation with Jimmy Sexton uh, as his... Uh, representation, getting his other clients paid, and Kalen DeBoer out of Washington. Um, there's some things that make this look like this has been in the works for more than just the last three days, that these wheels have been in motion for something upwards of a year, and uh, it just sucks, right? Uh, Coach, what are your initial reactions when you finally got the news that Kalen DeBoer was no longer at Washington? You know, I was holding out hope until today because, you know, you're hearing the stories about they're trying to get something done. He's still trying to negotiate. I kind of figured this was a Jimmy Sexton, you know, ploy to drive up the price, you know? Yeah. And when you see all these other guys, you know, getting their deals today, it's like, well, maybe he's going to get his. I think with the, so I'm going to kind of go back a little bit. I have been extremely high on, on Kalen DeBoer for a few years now. When we got him, I was extremely ecstatic. Everything over the last two years, I'm, I am absolutely grateful for. But the one thing that we were falling short in was the recruiting side. Yep. And there are reasons for that. I, and it's so funny because um, I argued with so many people over the last few years where they said, when and the recruits will come. And I said, that is absolutely malarkey. That's not why recruits pick schools. They don't care about what you did last year. It's about NIL. It's about playing time. It's about their status. And, and you know, are they going to play in big games? Are they going to have an opportunity to market themselves? You could win big and everybody could be gone the next year because they hit the portal and find a better deal. Washington has been incredibly slow to come around to the way that high school recruits are being recruited now. I was always worried that Courtney, first of all, I was, I was worried that Courtney Morgan would get bored of this and and leave us. But I never, I never wished that to happen because, you know, the guy works his tail off. And I just thought that maybe our scope, our view of what recruiting looks like with the way that we do it was too small time. It turns out it might have been a huge factor in why Kalen DeBoer went to Alabama. If you took our entire recruiting staff and put them in a room, it would have, you would only need a very small room. Alabama, with all their interns and staff, you would need a conference room at a hotel. Like it would just be right. like a big, you know, a big deal, a big shindig. You'd have to get it catered. Um, those are the resources that you work with when you go to Alabama. So while I understand the move, part of me is really, really ticked off that he left when it was obvious that he could still do a, get a lot of money and win big at Washington because we, we've been doing it for the last two years. But part of me has almost been fearful of this coming. I just didn't think it would happen this soon. It would have been great to think that, you know, Kalen DeBoer is going to be here for 20 years and he was going to be the next Don James and we we're going to win a whole bunch of national championships. Uh, I think that was obviously the hope. When you get somebody in here that has been so effective um, you know, the hope is to be able to retain him, but you're right. There is some issues coming up down the road. 
um, with lack of depth and development, uh, partially because of the exodus and the lack of recruiting that happened under Jimmy Lake, but also uh, a lot of the the misses from this this staff as well. Um, right, and and we've gotten some really good players. Yeah. We got some really good players that other teams didn't think were going to be star players like, you know, Parker Brailsford and Tybo Rogers was under the radar and so on and so on. Um, Austin Mack, big deal recruit. America's yeah. Davis. We've gotten, you know, Pocky for now. We're getting a lot of um, really solid players, but we're not getting the volume and we're not getting those like, you know, five stars are really rare for Washington to get you know, over the years anyway, but the high four-star kids, the ones that are everybody's Under Armour, Army All-American. I know it's not the Army game anymore. Um, but we've really had that level of recruiting for four years now. Yeah. That is an entire graduating class. So if you if you look at it in the broader scope of like, yeah, Jimmy plus these last two years, it's been subpar and especially – considering the fact that they've won so many games and we're just in the national championship game. I know we got, we got the uh, state's top recruit for 25 uh, on Monday and he's already decommitted because yep. he doesn't know who his coach is going to be. So this is one of those big, big, big hires coming up in the next, I'm going to say in the next few days, because I, I don't think it's yeah. going to take very long, but the same thing I said when DeBoer and his staff came in job, number one, recruit the current kids on the roster and, and the commitments and then job number two is bring as many as of your studs with you now, i know it sucks this sucks to hear that but that's the that's the nature of the beast but um, i don't know if you want to get into detail about any of these coaches um right now but um i tweeted out this morning it's like a couple guys i really had my eye on jed fish at university of arizona and there's a lot of heat there and there are a couple of kids named Fafita and McMillan who would look really good in purple and gold next year. Um, Brennan Marion is not another kid that, uh, not kid, another coach that uh, <laughs> um, he's like 35, 36, right. 37, somewhere around there. Maybe not ready to be a head coach, but God, you got to get that dude on your staff as an OC and uh, groom him to possibly step into that role. Because as you said earlier, and I've been telling people all day long, Don James spoiled our fan base. Yep. We're not going to get another dog father like that for, you know, 20, 30, you know, 20 some odd years or whatever. And Chris Peterson looked like that kind of guy, but he got burned out after six years being here. Right. So I'm not worried about if Jed Fish wants to leave and go to University of Florida in a couple of years, if that job opens up because he's a, he's an alum there. I'm not worried about the guy who comes in and what if he leaves, we've got to keep hiring high quality people to build this program and make it so attractive that people aren't going to want to leave right away. They want to finish a job there, which is, you know, the one thing I'm pissed about is we got so close on Monday. Right. And job's not finished. Don't leave now. That, that's kind of, if he'd won on Monday, it would have been like, thank you so much. Appreciate you. I mean, nobody can take this away from us, but we didn't win. Job's not done. We're going into a new conference. We need somebody to lead us into this new era. If 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 the next guy leaves after a few years, okay, but have somebody, you know, have another bullet in the chamber who's on staff. 
who you can groom to be that next guy who learns about Washington football and says, you know what, this is someplace I'd like to stay. I think that's a really good point. And going back to what you said about, you know, the job's not finished. The problem is, and this is kind of an issue with uh, the trend of Kalen DeBoer is that he has a hard time restocking the shelves as for that second go around. It was two years with Tedford's guys it was uh, two years here with, you know, you look at the roster and because of the COVID season, it was a lot of, it, there was some Jimmy late guys in there. He brought, obviously he brought Michael Penix in, which was a big deal, but you know, even Jalen Polka transfer, he was a Lake transfer. And then you have a whole bunch of that amazing class that Peterson put together in 19 and 20. So, you know, jobs not finished, but the new, the cast was going to look different coming into next year. Um, so I think that, Oh, go ahead. I said, Oh, absolutely. You're right. Um, this gives somebody, and, and uh, I want to talk about, especially those two names, because those are probably the names that I'm most excited about as well. Um, you look at a Jed fish and, you know, unfortunately Washington, if they go get Jed fish, which that's, that's the one that I'm hoping for. And, uh, that's the one I think that Washington's going to be able to get. Arizona fan is going to be in the same situation that we are right now, um, scrambling to find that next head coach and try to fill those spots. Because Fafita and McMillan, you mentioned, they're two running backs. Those guys were great. There's definitely some some issues in the running back room right now at Washington. Uh, and then you have that Prysock kid on the other side. There's a lot of really good players in that program that if Fish were to come and they were be they would uh follow if Washington can keep guys like Jeremiah Hunter uh and some of those other guys in that transfer portal and then the guys that are already on the roster this the the makeup of that team is a a competitor in the Big Ten. Yeah and you know that empathy part about oh it sucks to do that to Arizona. I brought this up in a conversation earlier. Um every coach comes from somewhere. Yeah. And as coaches progress in their careers and they advance in their careers, they're going to go take bigger jobs and whatnot. We got Don James from Kent State. Yep. Anybody crying back then about Kent State? Like, oh, those poor guys. No. Um, we got Rick Neuheisel from Colorado. You know, we got Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State, not West School. There's Chris always. Peterson. Yeah. Chris Peterson from Boise State, one of yep. the big ones. Yep. When everybody tried to get him out of there for years and he's like, you know what? No, I don't want to leave. And then it's like, well, Washington's the one job. Cool. Um, <clears throat> it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, if you worry about that, if you worry about losing your coach to other schools or you worry about taking somebody else's coach, you're going to have to genetically engineer a child on campus, raise him on campus and teach him how to be a football coach and then give him a lifetime contract. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, there's the stepping stone, the farm system, whatever. In the 100-plus years, Washington has been a football program. There's been three coaches that have moved on to, a big, you know, bigger, better jobs or, or, or moved up in college football, and that's been to Texas, Alabama, and USC. And so, you know, if you look at your traditional blue buds, there they are. 
and Washington is in that next tier. And, and the reality is, is Washington will be able to go in and to, to any school outside of, you know, those plus, you know, sprinkling Michigan, Notre Dame, uh, Georgia. Am I missing any that you would consider uh, a bigger Ohio state? Ohio state, of course. Um, but Washington's in that next tier. So, you know, fish obviously with Florida, there, there might be something there, but you know, it, it doesn't matter that continuing the turnover in college football, you're in the driver's seat for 90% of the programs out there. And that's a really good spot to be. And Washington did a good job in identifying Kalen DeBoer. You did a good job apparently in finding Kalen DeBoer. You knew he was, he was going to be good. And there's other guys that have a chance to be good. And the, the beauty of what Washington is, is they have the ability to go out and not necessarily take a chance, but find the guys who are the next great coaches and give them that stage where they can win at the highest levels. And I think it's important to also not fall into the trap of we're going to go rescue a guy from a smaller level and make him, you know, a big deal because, you know, our last, our last uh, couple successful head coaches came from the mountain West, obviously. And obviously Chris Peterson had a huge reputation before this and Kalen DeBoer had been, you know, a winner everywhere he's gone, but the numbers that were being thrown around for the Kalen DeBoer contract were approaching $10 million a year. Yep. That's big boy football right there. Yep. Plus the money for his assistance. Plus you have one of the highest paid OCs. Right. So the point is act like you're a big shot program. You don't go out and say, Hey, we're going to go get somebody on the cheap and see if he can do what the last guy did. You go out and you offer a guy like, you know, Jed fish, well, he's making like 3.3, 3.5, somewhere around there. Yep. You go in there and you just kind of lay it on the table, say, look, we're going to double your salary. Um, We have some, we want to have a little bit of, maybe they want to have a little bit of input this time on the staff where Kalen just brought all of his dudes and then hired Huff and Jamarcus and maybe say, Hey, we want a little bit more input. We want a little bit more security on this one. We're going to pay you a lot of money. We want a large buyout. Um, but I will say this. When he was hired at Arizona a few years ago, and that program had one win to its name, they were basically Colorado that year. Yeah. Worst program in the league by far. <clears throat> Jed Fish um, went on all these Zoom meetings with Arizona high school coaches all over the place, and I was sitting in the back of the room on one of these. And there's a huge amount of skepticism because a lot of these coaches grew up here. They're U of A fans or they're ASU fans, basically. A lot of guys were like, there's no way. After that meeting, people were kind of open and really impressed with his presentation and how open and how available he was making himself to the local coaches in, in the region. And the dude walked the talk like like he did everything he said he was going to do and the end of the season with a big bowl win against Oklahoma I mean they were easily you know right there with us in in Oregon at the top of the conference this year and he did exactly everything he was going to say or he did he sorry he did everything he said he was going to do so then I talked to 
Well, uh, and then let me put in, he was also recruiting at a high level with significantly less money than uh, the big boys and, you know, ended up losing a couple flips to a couple of bags of money. Yeah. And he's got a really good, him, him and his staff have a really good uh, recruiting reputation, but I was talking to a local Seattle area, high school coach, a head coach tonight in, in our group chat, who basically said that those guys, they spend a lot of time in this area recruiting and they're really good. They're respected in our town, in our region, those Arizona coaches have helium, you know, that they're just, that's insane to think about, right? Yeah. University of Arizona be having a lot of um, respect or, or able to get indoors uh, right in the shadow of, you know, Husky Stadium. the guy has an ability to recruit and the people around him have the ability to recruit, but they can also coach football. Yeah. We had an amazing X's and O's guy, especially offensively. And our staff just, those that wasn't their strength. And I know that Huff can recruit. He's always been able to recruit. Jamarcus Shepard can recruit. And um, the rest of the guys, it was kind of hit and miss, I feel like. Yeah. So that is an exciting part of it. But we don't have him yet. I, I'm putting my my little air quotes up yet because I feel like it's definitely a possibility and that a lot of people have been talking about it. But no matter who we get, we can't settle. And it's got to happen quick because this person's got to come in and save the roster from imploding and then supplement it. You always say, I feel like every uh, in every election cycle, it's the most important election in the history of America. Um, and whenever there's a coaching change, it's the most important season off season of, you know, the university, but I truly believe it just because of the, where, where this program is at this moment coming off the national title run, they're going to have upwards of nine guys get drafted into the NFL. Um, the roster is going to turn over and then the head coach who, uh, you know, a lot of people expected to be here for, you know, more than two years is now down in Tuscaloosa and the, the university is about to go into the big 10 with a partial share. So a lot of scary things are going on. It has to be somebody that knows how to build a program, uh, and can stabilize this place regardless of, you know, affiliate, you know, affiliate affiliation to any schools in the SEC or anything. They have to get this right because if they get behind the eight ball in the Big Ten, you don't want to be Minnesota. You know, you don't want to be. You you got to be ahead of Wisconsin. You know, you got to be in that upper half. I see Wisconsin is kind of the middle of the Big Ten. Um, you don't want to be there. You want to be competing with the three legitimate programs in the big 10 and the schools out West. Yeah. You brought up the, uh, all the people who are leaving and we already talked about the recruiting hits and misses and whatnot, but really kind of ticks me off that he's leaving right now when they didn't do a lot to restock the cupboards yet. And maybe that was one of the big insecurities there was, man, are they going to be able to give us, 
the tools to get this roster where we needed to every single year because it's been largely based on Penix and a bunch of, you know, our former coaches recruits. Yeah. I mean, Braylon Trice gone, McMillan, Rome, Polk gone. Um, Dylan Johnson gone. Troy Fatanu and I don't Roger. know if it's that, but Roger Rosengarden and so now we got to worry about that. Now we got to worry about whether um, guys like Huff and Shepard and all those, a bunch of guys who are remaining who, as far as we know, it's Kalen, Courtney, and Grubb that are going to Alabama. They yeah. were guys like that. So what happens to the rest of the staff? Are guys going to be retained for continuity? Is the new guy coming in saying, no, I want all my own guys? I'll tell you what, some of these coaches today were blindsided by the news. Yeah. And we sh I shared a story earlier about one of them, and it pissed me off quite a bit. But anyway, I'm just pissed off for those guys. I'm pissed off for <clears> – I don't know what's going to happen with Nick Sheridan. I don't know what's going to happen with Scott Huff and Shepard. I don't know what's going to happen with a lot of these guys. Um, I do know that new coaches want to bring their own guys in. But there's got to be some kind of negotiation to where, hey, this guy's vital. He's going to help us retain – certain people like some of those guys have such a, a resume uh, just in, in, in and so well respected that I don't know how you don't at least entertain the idea of retaining those guys. Uh, and, and the three, honestly, I would say Shepard um, Huff. And then um, I'm not sure where Ron McKeefree lands, but would sure like to have him back. You know what? It's funny because Bama might already have their guy. That's just their guy. Right. But Ron was like somebody that Kalen really needed to lean on and talk into joining because he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. And he's been so successful in, in the private sector and doing his coaching with Olympians and professional athletes. And he doesn't need that necessarily. I don't know if he's so happy there that he wants to just put down roots because it, it's just, you know, I, I don't know him personally, but man, that would be huge. I just know that he was a Kalen hire. He's the one that 100% fought for him and got him in there. Yeah. Don't know if since he's gone, I don't know if he's got a, a pull to stay there. I don't know either. He, I just, the more that I learn about culture building within a, a college football program, the more I understand how important that strength and conditioning coach guy is. And, and I don't, cause they, they're the ones that are with the guys. It's seemingly more than anybody else because they're in their white room. They're getting their plan together to get their bodies, right. They're just, they're so, there's so much that goes into that aspect of it, that that guy's so vitally important. And I don't know who Jed fish has. Do you know the strength and condition coach at Arizona? I have no idea. I'm not, uh, I'm not well-versed on everybody's strength and conditioning coach, but I'll tell you, he's not as good as Ron. I would agree. Uh, yeah. The the system and the culture he built in that weight room in a very short amount of time, combined with the nutrition specialists and, and, you know, the chefs and they just were so in sync. And I remember going to that, that first year that that coach's clinic and Ron McKeefery was a keynote speaker talking about, we have three types of players, you know, set, you know, hungry, starving, and satisfied. And it just, it was like your level of want to working to get better. 
and every single player has a headshot on this giant board. And if you're satisfied, that's not good. If you're hungry, you're right in the middle. If you're starving, you are the king of just work ethic and, and just killing it in the weight room and, and, and improving all the time. And it was such an accountability piece. I was so blown away by this. Um, I just, I would hate to lose that guy. He's so good. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird day because objectively sucks that Washington lost their head coach, but shoot without the head coaching search that brought Kalen DeBoer here, coach. I don't know if I know who you are as well as I do. Um, there's a lot of excitement that goes along with trying to figure out who the next head coach is. Um, I've kind of planted my flag with fish to, to put a bow on this. Washington's going to be fine. Uh, this team is going to continue to be a premier program but with the new playoff system at 12. Uh, I have, I feel really good about Washington being in that uh, probably six out of every uh, six years, every decade, I would like to see Washington in that game if they get this higher, right. And, you know, if Troy Dannon has somebody that we've never heard of, um, I, great. I doubt that coach has never heard of him, but you know, maybe I won't have heard of him. Um, There's like a, a list, acceptable list of maybe like five to six, seven guys for me. And then after that, I'm just going to be angry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. We cannot slide backwards after being in the national championship like five days ago. I 100% agree. And you know, that's the crazy thing about those, this whole thing is uh and i tweeted out that you know washington had that december 1st to january 1st was maybe one of the best months uh in the history of the university of washington followed by a really tough week losing in the national championship the way that they did losing their coach a few days later um just feels like this week has gone on forever this was the wildest uh plot twist yeah. I've, I've been a, a part of as a, as a sports fan in my life. And I still remember the 1992 beating the crap out of uh, Bill Walsh and Stanford after he called the Huskies mercenaries, just completely blowing them out. And then the next day or a couple days after hearing the news that we were in trouble with the NCAA mm. and like, like, wait a minute, we're like the best team in the country. What's happening here? And then we go on the road and lose to U of A. <laughs> what just happened? Brutal. Um, What do you have to say about, uh, I don't know how deep you want to get into the national championship. We haven't talked about it. That's good. Um, I, I, you know, Washington is close. You know, it starts out really tough, but Washington for the most part, is down just a mere touchdown. And I thought the speed and the explosiveness of Washington was going to be able to take away uh, any of the strengths that Michigan had. And that just wasn't the case. Um, I think the Dylan Don Johnson injury was maybe the most significant thing that happened. And it was clear that he wasn't a hundred percent, but coach, I'm going to kind of give you the floor to, you know, I don't really, people know the game flow. Everybody watched the game. 25 million people watched the game. What was it that Michigan did to slow down this offense? Well, first of all, I have to give credit where credit is due. Michigan's defense is incredibly disciplined. Yeah. They tackle well. 
They've, they're well-schemed. Um, they've got really good athletes all over the place. That, that defense did not shut down our offense. They slowed it down for sure. We made a boatload of mistakes. Yes. I feel like, so well, I'll give you an idea where I was sitting. I was basically in the 619 up at the top in the corner, but basically almost dead even with like the end zone view. Okay. So it was, it was like watching the game. It was, they were still all really 22. Good. Yeah. It was the all 22 version. And I'm just trying really hard to just kind of focus like away from the ball and just kind of see what I could see. I thought they did a really poor job with uh replay, by the way. That's my big issue with the NRG stadium people. But that first drive when we, uh, you know, obviously we gave up the touchdown, uh, got the ball back. We're kind of moving it in small little chunks. And I thought we were kind of, you know, just feeling it out. There were at least two shot plays to McMillan that Penix didn't see or he just didn't feel comfortable. One of them, he was going to break away down the left sideline, down the numbers, and Mike checked it down somewhere instead of giving McMillan a free shot at a touchdown. And I was like, ah, he missed it. Oh, God, he missed that one. I'm, I'm still at the beginning of the game. I'm still pretty amped up and kind of nervous. And there was another play where it was down the right hash where he had coverage, but it was one-on-one, -on -one and I felt like McMillan could have beaten that if he'd gotten the ball out there. So, you know, we settled for the field goal, and I'm thinking, okay, that's disappointing, but we'll get going. It just never materialized, and I thought our offensive line <laughs> played its worst game of the year outside of the ASU game where everybody was banged up. I thought even on our double teams, we didn't get movement in the run game. Uh, Dylan Johnson being injured and Will Nixon having to play a lot more definitely killed our run game pretty much all together. Um, people kept saying, we should have run the ball more. I'm like, with who? With who? Yeah, that's the question. Tybo Rogers did it, did it his part for the most part. He, he had a nice play where in the flat, he broke a tackle, got a first down. He didn't see a lot of action. I felt like midway through the game, it was pretty obvious that Michael Penix was not right and later on he was definitely favoring his ribs and he was definitely hurting and they still just kept throwing him out there to get take shots and yeah um but there was like two or three plays where i thought man this is brutal i don't know i don't know how we recovered from this one was when we were backed up i believe it was kalepo i'm not sure who kind of lost balance and fell backwards and it was kalepo gave up the sack right away and we're backed up you know by the end zone that might have been the play where michael took a shot i don't know and um right then and there i just kind of said these guys are a lot of whack like i just it just feels like it's not going to get locked in like it's going to be a struggle no matter what um when they had it was like second and one and the, the only touchdown drive in the first half there where they got down there and then they tried to run and get it two yards and they couldn't get it. And then they ran QB power and they couldn't get it. And they had to go to fourth down and he had his hot read guy got tackled on the route. He pointed at, he it, pointed and at somehow, it. He somehow came off of it and just wrong footed uh, a laser to McMillan in the back of the end zone. I was like, this just, everything feels forced and you can give the you can give credit to the defense because they weren't allowing the big chunk plays and easy plays and even the couple times where they busted coverages we were not in sync 
yep. the play to uh, Rome on fourth and seven, where everybody thought that Mike just missed him because he was wide open. But Rome even said later, like, it was my bad. I was selfish. I was supposed to continue and run the corner. Mike threw it there, and I wasn't there. Yep. They were just not on the same page, man. It was so frustrating. It was hard to watch at times when little things here and little things there. Obviously, big thing with with the one that you're talking about with Rome, but, you know, the dropped third down by Will Nixon, the contested balls that, you know, Jalen Polk wasn't able to bring in, balls that he brought in earlier in the season. It just never, uh, it it never felt like Mike was comfortable. The defense giving credit, even I mean, you look at the numbers and yeah, Michigan ran all over them. Okay, but there's a different story there that we're missing. Oh, before we get to that, the other thing, you know, Washington's down seven. It's fourth and five, and Michigan has 12 players on the field, and there's nothing called. Can I just say that I don't know if I've been that angry at a live football game in a, maybe since uh, Jimmy's Jimmy Lake's last game. Oh, boy. <laughs> the Oregon Ducks. That will, yeah. Rain. So, as, as I told you, as we talked about before, I had the all-22 view. Yep. They're – fourth and six and they're punting and their backs are to our seats. And I see the kid from Michigan running off the field and I'm screaming, snap the ball, snap the ball, snap the ball, snap the ball. They did it. And then incredulously, I'm looking around. I I watched that official look at the kid as he was running off. It was clear as day. He noticed them and he just chose not to throw the flag. It's automatic first down right there. It might have been fourth and four now that I think about it. I think it was it was fourth or four and fourth or five. Yeah. It would have been a first um, down. It, it definitely would have been first down. And I'm just livid. And the Michigan fans are like laughing in our uh, kind of bias, our section a little bit across the aisle because they, they saw it too. The entire fan base for Husky Nation who was in the building saw it and was booing all the way through the TV timeout. And when they came back, that booing got louder again. We thought maybe somebody was going to review it. We thought the entire crowd on one half of the stadium was booing for five minutes. And was the Washington coaching staff reacting in any way? Did you see? So hard to see what they were doing down there. Too far away. Yeah, but I I could tell you it was loud. The refs knew exactly what happened. There were there were obviously three or four or five calls that night that were horrendous. That's probably not why you lose a football game. Although when it's a one score game, everything matters. The right. holding call on Rosengarten that <laughs> negated the big play was the killer of all killers. Yeah. And when I finally came, you know, after the game, because they didn't show a replay, and I kept begging for replays and they weren't happening. But he kind of got out of a standstill, and all he did was just shut the guy back shoulder. You do that on screen passes every damn right. Yep. That is not an illegal block. That is definitely not a hold. There's no definition in the rule book that says that a hold looks like that. So I don't know, man. I just felt like it was officiated a certain way. We didn't adjust to it. We certainly didn't play well enough to overcome it. Um, it was not our night, but that play was absolutely devastating <laughs> because yeah. we were erupting, we're celebrating, we're hugging, we're high-fiving. 
And then it comes back and all the Michigan fans are cheering. And I'm just like, this is absolutely ridiculous. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, Michigan obviously had uh, a ton of rushing yards and many of them came on uh, just a few chunk plays. Uh, JJ McCarthy was widely what I thought he was going to look like, um, where he definitely wasn't going to be able to win you games. He made one really good throw uh, that I think was it Dom that looked like he was going up thinking he was going to get that interception uh, on that long play that ended up the touchdown that put Washington down 14. But, uh, you know, Michigan's offensive line was good. Washington made the adjustments and they essentially shut them out for two quarters. There was plenty of opportunities for this offense to take over and win the game. And honestly, until that, until that interception was really obviously the nail in the coffin, but keeping it a one score game, the entire third quarter, continually getting chance after chance after chance. I I genuinely believed Washington was going to take the lead and win the game. You know, I've been complaining about this all year. It's how, for whatever reason, our defensive game plan is so vanilla in the first half of games. Yep. And then they find a way to kind of do work in the second half. But I, I mean, I don't know why it took so long. You knew exactly what Michigan was going to do on that first touchdown with Edwards. Um, we had it all fitted up across the board, except for when he bounced it out. Yes. No safety support. Like the safeties just didn't get there. I, I felt like everybody thought it was just going inside and they kind of relaxed. And he made a really phenomenal jump cut, got outside, and there was a gap there for no gosh darn reason. Yeah. But this is Michigan. They want to run the ball, they run it a ton. This is just like when we talked about the Utah game coming up for, you know, you got the pig farmer at quarterback. Yep. And this is actually, JJ is obviously a very good player. He's not, he's not, you know, Bryson Barnes. But I would have stacked nine in the box and said, beat me. Yeah. Until they did. And they probably would have one or one or two times. But to just get completely gashed a few times, it was really on like four runs. Yeah but they were huge runs and yeah, if you want to be particular about it, definitely some holding going on happens every damn play. I wish they would call it on them more and not us as much, but yeah. dude, we didn't fit the run properly on those plays. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely was. And I don't remember whose arm it was, but they got a hold of him on that second one before he popped it out. And I think that you felt an exhale and uh, you know, 40 to 60 yards later, there's a touchdown. Um, Michigan has been there before a few times. They were finally able to punch their ticket. Uh, you know, if that's, if that's what's to come as Washington moves into the big 10, I, I still don't respect probably half of the, over half of that league. But if you want to compete for big 10 championships, I think we just saw a little bit of the blueprint of what Washington needs to do. And that's, you know, get more physical up front. And, you know, the reality is this year, especially along the defensive line, those those four guys in the middle, two of those guys aren't going to be here anymore. Uh, three of them um, with uh, Fatu Atuatele just retiring uh, and Ale and uh, Latuli Gasanoa being out of eligibility. There's, uh, you know, you have the Parker brothers. 
you got the transfer from uh the the lower levels um um Elenius davis Elenius davis yep and and uh um the kid from texas uh, anthony davis is that anthony james um you know he's kind of a tweener guy but they're you're gonna have to continue to find those big guys in the middle like washington you don't even know how many of those guys are gonna stick around so that's a great that's a great point but the reality is washington has to kind of get back the one thing that chris peterson always did is he just had great defensive lines and i'm not sure i i don't know where that comes from in 2024 but uh if there's guys in the transfer portal that are are big dudes that are big 10 level players they're gonna they're going to be highly sought after. So Washington's going to have to figure out how to compete with the big boys with, uh, with that physicality that Michigan, Ohio state and uh, Penn state are going to bring. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I just remember, I remember years ago when uh, Sark was the coach and his first year we played LSU at home and we actually played him pretty closely. It was like mm-hmm. one school. And so the second year we thought, you know what? We're going to go into Baton Rouge. And Oh man, I remember this. And then you saw the difference in bodies. Like you just really was so obvious. And we just, we got our tails kicked in. And I remember. They scored three points. Oh, it was bad. Yeah. yeah. They just absolutely destroyed us. A bunch of NFL looking dudes. And yeah, the big Ten's a different animal. Um, I will say that one of the things that was lacking with our offense was just if if we ever had a game where we just went into it and it was like snowing, we weren't equipped necessarily to win that type of battle. Yeah, and I'm not saying we need to go full, you know, veer offense and and power man on man block and just you know Jimmy tried that a couple of years ago. With John Donovan doesn't work. Boy, <laughs> but um the types of dudes we put in that running running back room, the types of guys that we have firing off the ball, you know, we need to keep that up. But yeah, the defensive line is always going to be the boogaboo because we don't have those dudes in state typically. Right. We get a, we get a JTT coming around every like decade or so, you know, we don't have, you know, a Danny Shelton anywhere in the pipeline, Danny Shelton from Auburn high school, go Trojans. (laughs) Um, yeah uh we just don't have those dudes that much so everybody wants them this is where our nil is kind of you know it's kind of tough because if you want to compete for those certain players you got to find a way to make deals and i know that's one of the things that probably spooked kalen DeBoer, but he's gone now he's he's never gonna have to worry about dudes again at alabama because they just seem to come out of the woodwork there and they have massive recruiting budget and and staff and and just perks for you know this they have everything you could possibly want and we have to get creative and we will and uh i'm it's kind of like the beginning of a baseball season right when you're going to look for a new head coach it's kind of hope springs eternal and and i do have a positive view of what this coaching what this uh administration is going to do Anna-Marie Kawase has shown that she's uh, invested in the football program, that she's invested in 
making sure the athletics department is in a very good spot going into the Big Ten. Troy Dannon has proven that he knows how to run an athletic department. And with those two at the helm, uh, I feel very comfortable that Washington is going to be in a spot where they're going to be very successful uh, going into the Big Ten. Um, any closing thoughts before we close up shop? We'll do another one later where we go real positive and talk about the players who really impacted this program. Yeah, I mean, I know we're all pissed off right now. Yep. It has been an incredibly fun ride the last two years, especially after what <laughs> the previous year looked like. Um, we've been duking out all season, 14-1, national championship game. I was lucky enough to go and, and be a part of it and the atmosphere and the tailgating things. And um, one takeaway from my experience this week was uh, actually two things. Number one, appreciate the moment when you're mm -hmm. in the moment because you never know when you're going to get it again. You just have to savor it. And number two, don't ever freaking host a major game in Houston, Texas again. <laughs> I'm not joking. I haven't met or talked to one person who was like, damn, I love Houston. I want to go back. It was horror story after horror story. We were on tornado watch on Monday, by the way. Um, raining the whole time, but the city's just like this weird sprawled out. Everything's far away from each other. Um, every Uber driver seemingly has a Toyota Camry um, with no leg space. Uh, everything's super expensive, like trap, like everything there's cheap except the Ubers. Um, the food I hear is amazing, but everywhere we went was a three-hour wait. Um, wanted brisket really badly. We settled for a Vietnamese restaurant in Houston, Texas. Huh. That was uh, that was bold. That was bold. That was great. I do want to share one story though that might make fans uh, kind of say, "Oh, um, <laughs> the morning after or in the morning of the game." I just, I ventured out of the hotel. I walked across a couple streets. I wanted to go get like convenience store. I wanted to go get water and a couple things for the hotel. And then I had a choice of like eating either Whataburger or Taco Bell. So I walked across all the puddles, went across. I went a little bit farther because I was like, I don't really want a burger right now. I go in, I'm going to get some breakfast food from Taco Bell. And there's a guy standing there with a, some kind of accent. It wasn't British. I couldn't pick it up right away. And he goes, oh, you, you pull for Washington. And I was like, yeah. And he got this big smile on his face. And he said, my son just committed there as a rower. Whoa. And I go, wait, from here in Houston, Texas? And I want to get his right. His name is Devin Godfrey. He's the U.S. national champion. He is the number one rower in this country and maybe on the planet for high school kids. And he said during the process that they were looking at Cal, Dartmouth, a bunch of other, like, you know, the, 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 yeah, the rowing schools. Yeah. And they weren't even considering Washington and they got talked into going to a visit and they fell in love. They said everything was perfect. The campus was great. And this dad, like, you know, he just struck up a conversation with me because I was wearing all my UW gear. That's so cool. He was there working. They were like installing some of the screens 
like electronic stuff in, in the in the restaurant there. And basically they're from South Africa. And yeah, his name's Devin Godfrey. I even looked him up, you know, like I was walking home and like, sure enough, there's a picture of him with his trophy and basically said that everything there just felt perfect. They love the shell house. They love the history. They really sold it. They both went to uh, Boys in the Boat and just fell in love with that movie. And then he said, and then he shared something interesting. He goes, uh, my, uh, my son and his girlfriend uh, were at odds during the Sugar Bowl because she's committed to Texas as a rower. So he won that one. That's so awesome. But it was this cool story. And I just love going on these trips and meeting people and, and talking about stuff. And that was the most random thing ever. If I'd gone into Waterburger, I never would have heard this story. But um, yeah. just, I guess my, my, my final thought is just that we had so many people there. We had so many Huskies there and, and showing their pride and laughing and, and drinking and eating. And, you know, it was such an incredible thing to witness it sucks the outcome and it sucks that you know five days later we don't have a coach but like i said enjoy the moment when you're in it this hurts right now but god there were so many beautiful things about this season and i can't i can't be that mad right now because i'm still i'm still feeling everything that was positive about this year that's a really good perspective to have and you know, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about these guys that are that are departing this program. A lot of them, you know, Rome talked about hoping that he leaves this place better than he found it. And he 100% did. And getting to now watch this movie of the 14-1 and season, winning the Sugar Bowl, beating Oregon twice, winning the Pac-12 championship, fighting through the adversity that they did through this year. I'm just unbelievably proud of this program, the people in it, uh, and the players, especially the players. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, forever go dogs. Go dogs. Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero, Hero de Leon. Direct from the prestigious Murguia family, just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted, or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington.